I've noticed the key, the key to my strength. I realized that being Latino was not, it wasn't my weakness, it was actually my superpower. Welcome to Declaration of Independence on Agency Nation Radio, where insurance professionals turn on the mic and share unscripted stories about leadership, technology, marketing, success, and failure. Stories that helped to make them the professionals that they are today. From Main Street, USA, to the pages of Independent Agent Magazine, brought to you exclusively by Agency Nation Radio. Today, we meet Tiago Prado, co-founder and chief visionary officer of BRZ Insurance in Framingham, Massachusetts. After opening in 2017, BRZ combines technology with a multilingual team to serve personal and commercial lines clients in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. This business model caters to the changing consumer demographics in the US and sets the agency apart from others in the market. We're not an agency. We're a servicing company that happens to sell insurance using technology. I said that before, I don't even like insurance. <laughs> I do love servicing people though. Tiago's journey is not unlike many other first-generation Americans. He moves to the US from Goiás in Brazil at a young age, but despite finding it difficult to acclimatize to life in Massachusetts, he eventually found his place. So welcome Tiago, thank you for joining us today. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you immigrated to the US? So um, I was born in Brazil, I was raised there to the age of 12. My mom immigrated to the US and she brought me on board. She actually said that we we're gonna go to Disney, which we never did, you know, and came straight to Boston. <laughs> I've never seen this much cold in my entire life. We lived in Somerville near uh, where Whitey Bulger used to run around. So it was, it was, it was an interesting childhood, put it this way, on winter ago. I ended up dropping out of high school. I did not get acclimated, so it was a huge shock for me. They, they pushed me back a grade, uh, so because of my English literacy. Um, so I was really good at math and science, which I was behind, uh, yeah, I was behind on that. So eventually I, um, I decided to join the Marines. So I took the physical, the ASVAB, and I said, you know, I'm gonna do something more with my life after I became legalized. My mom got married, part of the process, I got a green card. Until then, I was working back-breaking jobs. You'd think it, I've done it. From painting houses in the winter, uh, while the paint froze outside, to landscaping, to fence, to foundation, you name it. I've done it. Cheesecake Factory, I opened two of those. <laughs> I can totally guarantee you that I know what I do not want to do. I'm still finding out, you know, what I want to do, but I know what I do not want to do. So, so eventually I got my GED in order to, you know, enroll with the Marines. But you didn't actually end up joining the Marines in the end. Instead, you passed the GED and went to community college. Can you tell me about how an important mentor helped you jumpstart your career? I did not sign a contract with the Marines and I went to Bunker Hill Community College uh, for English classes. <laughs> And meanwhile, my mom used to work for this hedge fund manager, Chuck Joyce, was a mentor of mine. So he's a father figure in my life. Uh, my dad was murdered right after I was born. So, you know, I, I grew up uh, with a stepdad and then after moving to the U.S., this guy kind of played that role in my life. And when I told him, I was like, you know, I, I really wanted to get my GED in order to sign with the Marines. That, that was back in 2003. He said, you know, um, I'll pay for you to go to school. Don't join the military right now. I think you're playing too much Call of Duty. It's not just the best time. <laughs> um, 
so he kind of you know helped me to get through college and um he's a very successful MIT Cornell guy and he was like hey you know you're smart so coming from someone who's smart you kind of believe it right um i didn't believe in myself back then so he kind of played that coaching role mentor role and um while I was at Bunker Hill um i now had time in my life because i had this person who really wanted to invest in me and I, when i asked him i said hey chuck how am i ever going to pay you back he said one day you're going to find another tiago out there you're going to do the same for him so how did you first get exposed to insurance i got elected as a student trustee in the student trustee role i got exposed to insurance um i realized that my peers and i were paying for health insurance through a company called Aetna at that point in time with limited coverage no preventive care and were overpaying for 60-40 plans basically if you get hit by a bus with no legs figure it out if it was an insurance to pay for the 40% for the surgeries it was it was just you know insane so luckily enough governor Deval Patrick at that point in time assembled a committee and I was one of two students selected by governor Deval Patrick back in 2010 to organize the student health insurance benefits that enhanced the state and community college students access to quality healthcare coverage it was basically all the universities and community college benefit from this we improve coverage preventive care for for females which didn't exist before and no sounds crazy okay and then you actually later transferred to Tufts University on a merit scholarship and when you graduated you worked in a few different roles but tell us about the time while you were working for MIT Investments that that insurance bug really bit you i was fortunate enough to go to omaha that year to the annual shareholder meeting of Warren Buffett's uh event and then i found myself sitting at a columbia valley black tie dinner with the biggest hedge fund managers around the globe you named byron you know byron wing gabelli black name it and we spoke with a bunch of fund managers at that time as part of my business development role and i realized that they all had some sort of insurance exposure by right? big cat uh white goods or some sort of insurance now the insurance bug bit me and i said holy cow i should have stayed at liberty mutual after all <laughs> so i came back and i said i got to get into insurance but then you eventually started your agency with the friends from tufts what was the inspiration for brz so i noticed the key the key to my strength i realized that being latino was not it wasn't my weakness it was actually my superpower i was like it's like this is it you know latino insurance and how i realized that it was the service you always forget what people say to you you never forget how they make you feel someone that growing to that that's and that is so true i remember you know with a broken english 18 yearly license someone said i'm doing you a favor Paulo Spain for insurance. I mean, not doing me a favor. Like you're <laughs> I'm paying for this. And it was an agent, you know, um, which happens to be a bilingual agent. So that's how I kind of, you know, came from a poor no breeds love, <laughs> high school dropout to graduating from one of the elite universities in the US, working for one of the finest brilliant minds at MIT and then leaving Wall Street uh because I did have a career in asset management and family offices uh quitting that and saying hey you know what I want to make a difference in my community 
So what type of difference are you trying to make? What good is my knowledge and education if I don't share it with my people, right? Um, I, I can help them be more successful because we don't, we don't have the culture of buying insurance in Latin America. That's not something that we inherited from the colonizers, right? So we got the language and the bureaucracy in Latin America. <laughs> Definitely not the financial system. <laughs> We're still working through those things. Uh, to interesting legacy. So, you know, it, when, then when we come to the U.S., and I'm happy to share more, you know, um, of the challenge that I face in the insurance industry as an insurance broker now, um, and I wanted to make it clear, right, um, I still don't like insurance. I love service. I love making people feel good about it, right? And we're not an insurance agency. We are a servicing company that happens to sell insurance, using technology for bilinguals in the US. That's literally what we do. So, and, and then to get where we are, we face a lot of challenges on the way. Right, absolutely. So how can the insurance industry do better at engaging with the Hispanic community in the US? Is it translating forms, hiring Spanish speaking staff, or what can it do? Before we get into even the translation of these forms, right? How many black or African-American agents are in Massachusetts? My guess is less than 1%. Now, what percentage of the population is black or African-American in Massachusetts? That I can assure you that it's about 8%. So just with this small point, you know, with the small data point, if we dive into, you know, the Hispanic bilingual translating documents, for some who might listen to me saying right now and saying, ah, these people don't assimilate fast enough. Don't learn English fast enough. <clears throat> well, I'm used to listening to that. In fact, I was once told by a marketing rep that my business plan was not appealing to her because it was niche on Latinos and Hispanics. And not only that, she emphasized that my people didn't assimilate fast enough, failed to learn English, and it was just bad risk. Well, we went from zero to $15 million in premium in less than five years. And I'll tell you that my loss ratio is pretty solid on almost, you know, a big chunk of monoline policies. And that is without translating most of the documents, right? That is without the language barrier. But the point that I want to make for the insurance companies listening to us right now, especially on the Northeast and the East Coast, right, which is very traditional, um, you know, been very settled in the way we do things. The question that I wanted to point while you're listening to this is this, right? In Europe, what are the key main spoken languages in order for you to get around? English, French, and German. The order might be wrong, but you need to get those three down. In the Americas, over the next 50 years, my view, this is again my personal view as an economist, right, and as a social economist, that's my passion, that's what I do between midnight and 5 a.m. Um, I truly believe that it will converge into English, Spanish, and Portuguese. It is impossible to ignore it. You know, look at the opportunity in Latin America that exists today. And you look at the opportunity within Latinos that exist within the U.S. It's six to two million people. It's the equivalent of the French GDP. 
$2.7 trillion. In less than 20 years, we went from half a trillion to 2.7 trillion. That's a five-time growth. So how do we think about the future then? You know, how do we think about becoming European insurance companies, right? Because they are bilingual. That's you look at Alliance, right? And you look at the other ones. So it's not about a simulation anymore. And I despise that word after that experience. It's about integration. It's what do we have best in the US that can be implemented in Mexico and Brazil. But what about that hiring piece? Can that make a difference? So 62 million Hispanics in the US, of which 65% were born here. 35% are foreigners, like me. Uh, but 65 were actually born here, and the average age is 29 years old. And of those 62 million, again, those 62 million, and this is insane, 74% of them prefer to be bilingual. 26% English only. So, again, just hiring them a Spanish person to an agency, it will not cut it as well, right? Because that's the biggest challenge. It's how do you how do you service, how do you communicate, what are the tools you're using? You know, there's a process to it. And we've seen, you know, we've seen these big chains trying to do it. You know, I'll tell you one thing, right? The direct carriers are doing a terrific job today. So for the independent agent channel, um, we don't service well enough, based on my opinion. The plain vanilla market, the bilingual market, we don't even need to go there. Okay, so where does BRZ fit into all of this? How's your agency meeting the demand from the Hispanic market? I mean, we deliver well through service. This is what we do internally, you know, using technology. So I, th I think the key issue that we have today in this space, it's going to come down to passion, right? We have an aging demographic in the insurance space, the same way that we have in trucking business. So... A lot of these guys, they're not all the way in anymore, right? So the best way to do it starts, it, it, this is my opinion, right? So the case for valuing diversity within an organization stems from the underlying ethical matters, right? Uh, regarding equality, and it's just the right thing to do. But the first thing that the insurance industry needs to do is to actually make the top management slightly more diverse. And I mean, not just, you know, male, but also female, based on intellectual capabilities, not on your golfing skills and your schmoozing skills, because those, you know, we, <laughs> um, I would fail at that, you know. Um, but again, and I also want to call out the senior executives of these companies. So how do we make that, right? So there are a lot of these senior executives who happens to be Hispanic, bilingual, even married to one. Right. And the question that I pose to them is like, what good is your power, your influence, your money, if you're not opening doors for the next generation? So how do we solve this problem? Right. We got to partner with local community colleges. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for your time, Tiago. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Um, one last thing. Where are you taking your agency? Tell me what's next for BRZ. We're not an agency. We're a servicing company that happens to sell insurance using technology. I said that before, I don't even like insurance. <laughs>
I do love servicing people, though. Um, you know, we love making people feel good every time they touch the phone and call us, message us, or, you know, or they come into one of our locations. And our BHAG, our big, very audacious goal for the next decade is to help 5 million Latinos protect their American dream. It's, you know, it's a big goal. But, you know, once we achieve that, we can be vertically integrated in the U.S., in Latin America, using our backend platform that we're designing right now that is actually built on, on, on AI in Portuguese and Spanish to minimize the friction of our calls. So that's where we're going. I think, you know, we need to, to pass that message along to the mutuals, to the carriers, so they can start thinking about, you know, how do we do that to, you know, how do we make it accessible for bilinguals who might have a chat, you might have a, a language, you know, challenge, or even the agents, you know, and that could be one of the agents of the future. This is Declaration of Independence. I'm Will Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Independent Agent Magazine, the monthly deep dive into the IA channel, available in print and online at iamagazine.com and free to all Big Eye members. If you know of an all-star agent or agency you feel should be featured in Declaration of Independence, send an email to iamag at iiaba.net. Declaration of Independence is a podcast on Agency Nation Radio, powered by the Big Eye and Trusted Choice.